How's everybody doing today? My name is Christian Wagner, and I'm the Militant Thomist. So, recently there's been controversy in the Discord server. Um, Basarian and Dende, who are cardinals of the server, have disagreed with me on reprobation. They think that Father Lagrange and Banez, the great interpreters of St. Thomas, have interpreted uh, St. Thomas incorrectly. So what we will be doing today is I will just be going over the basic texts in St. Thomas and then how Father Lagrange is going to interpret St. Thomas and the Thomistic tradition. So this will be a bit of a debunking against them to show um, how incorrect uh, they are. So we will be going over text in the Summa Theologiae and the Summa Contra Gentiles and in his commentary on Romans. And then also in Lagrange's uh, commentary on the Summa, and then a bit from his section on predestination, uh, his work on predestination. There's a section in there where he defines, um, where he defines reprobation, and then actually there's a good section reality too. So he provides a really good uh, Lagrange, a really good uh, definition of reprobation so that is all i think that we're going to be going over so before that let me okay for that do not forget if you don't know greek and you need to know greek which is all of you go to fluentgreeknt.com and use the code militant for 20 percent off remember only 12 bucks a month and you can know greek even better than i do which isn't too difficult and then also a lot of you have been asking about the music for the intro that's in the description below. Um, remember to become a patron at patreon.com slash militant if you want to help me continue doing what I'm doing. And then also follow on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and then the Discord link is also below. And don't forget to subscribe um, and to thumbs up and comment for that algorithm. I think that is all I have except... Do not forget Militant Thomist Mug and the books that I reprint. There's a bunch of them. I um, can't think of any that are particularly um, relevant to this topic because the, the the dogmatic theologies that I have reprinted, they're all Jesuits. And reading the Jesuits on reprobation um, is a big no-no. So on everything else, beautiful. Reprobation and knowledge of God, not as beautiful. So I will begin just with a nice quote from Father Lagrange. And 
let me see right there a nice quote from father lagrange as regards reprobation it consists precisely as saint says saint thomas in god's will to permit sin which is negative reprobation and then of the inflicting of punishment of damnation for sin which is positive reprobation we're going to see how saint thomas teaches this first I think the most helpful text is going to be found in Summa Theologiae Prima Pars, Question 23, Article 3, which is a text that I have went through a bit with you guys. So whether God reprobates any man, he answers, said Contra, it is said, I have loved Jacob, but have hated Esau. So God does reprobate some, for it was said above that predestination is a part of providence. To providence, however, it belongs to permit certain defects in those things which are subject to providence, as was said above. So when it comes to the way in which we conceive of reprobation, it's going to be that willing to permit certain defects. So as we can, uh, uh, I think a helpful analogy is going to be found in the way in which um, a king is going to rule um, a certain kingdom. Now, it's, it was, uh, as St. Augustine says, he uses the example of uh, prostitution. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the best example, but he says um, if the government uh, of his day did not allow for prostitution, then adultery would abound. So sometimes certain defects need to be tolerated in order for a greater evil not to come about or for the achievement of a greater good. Now, this is uh, because of the prudence, the supreme prudence of God. Uh, when it comes to that supreme end of the glorification of God, the permission of the defect of some falling away is for the exaltation of the justice of God, which um, is for the glory of Christ. So that's the way of thinking about how providence works with the permission of certain defects. This is really helpful when it comes to solving the problem of evil. So he continues, thus, as men are ordained to eternal life through the providence of God, it is likewise, it likewise is a part of that providence to permit some to fall away from that end. This is called reprobation. So notice when it comes to the falling away towards that end, so when it comes to the falling into mortal sin and then eventually um, um, into final impenitence, this is seen of as an act of permitting falling away from that end. So notice this isn't um, a positive, uh, in this part at least, this isn't a positive conception of some infusion of evil, some forcing of the hand of the reprobate. Uh, really it is... Um, to, to put it in a certain way, it is God allowing them to hang themselves. Um, so allow, allowing them to, to fall on the sword, so to speak, is uh, that that is the way in which we're conceiving of reprobation. It isn't God forcing the hand at all. It is allowing those um, free and contingent actions of creation to go towards their end for the, the um, greater... Uh, the, the the greater uh, achieving of of that uh, ultimate end of the glorification of God. That is how we're going to be thinking of reprobation. 
So thus, as predestination is a part of providence in regard to those ordained to eternal salvation, so reprobation is a part of providence in regard to those who turn aside from that end. Now notice they are, um, in some degree, we can think of predestination um, and reprobation, or as um, later authors, especially in the Reform School, they're going to call election and reprobation. We can think of them as correlatives insofar as they are part of providence. But as we have seen above, when it comes to pre when it comes to election or predestination, however you want to refer to it, it's going to be different because with with uh, election, it isn't uh, for any sort of um, merit uh, when it comes to the initial giving of grace. Now, for reprobation, we would distinguish with that when it comes to their uh, allowing to fall away. This isn't for the sake of merits. But when it comes to uh, the ordination towards uh, damnation, that is in consideration and for uh, the sake of sin. So with the positive aspect of reprobation um, called by some uh, predamnation, that is on the basis of sin. So there, there is that consideration of the basis of sin. But when it comes to, to that final salvation for the elect, it isn't on the basis of their merit. So hence, reprobation implies not only foreknowledge, so this isn't only a, a, a mere knowledge of their falling away to the end, but also something more, as does providence, as was said above. So this is going to be the important distinction right here, and this is where Lagrange, as we read that quote, is going to get that distinction between negative and positive reprobation. So therefore, as predestination includes the will to confer grace and glory, so also reprobation includes the will to permit a person to fall into sin. So that's going to be that negative aspect of reprobation. The will, so it is, it is a, um, we can think of it positively in the fact that it is a will, but it isn't a will in the sense of, um, of adding something into, it isn't in, in the sense of placing something in the, in the reprobate so as to infuse evil into them. That would, that would be abhorrent. What it is, is it is a will to permit. It is going to be permitting a certain defect, that is permitting the person to fall into sin. But there's also that positive aspect that is going to be highlighted by Lagrange. And that is going to be that aspect of the imposition of punishment. So, and to impose punishment of damnation. So the positive aspect of um, he's going to be um, allowing that person to fall into sin. So basically allowing the person to, to fall towards that sword um, that's going to, by their own um, volition and their own power. And then it's also going to be that positive aspect right here of the will to impose the punishment of damnation. So there's that positive will of imposing of the punishment of damnation. But this is going to be on account of that sin that he allowed them to fall into. So the imposition of punishment, that's positive, but it's on the basis of a certain demerit. So it's going to be something which is just. God is not uh, willing to impose that punishment of damnation, not on the account of sin. Whereas when it comes to reprobation, it's going to be something which precedes um, the fall into sin. It's going to be allowing towards that fall into sin. So that's the distinction that's going to be made here between negative reprobation and then positive reprobation. So what's also helpful, I think, 
is going to be the answer to the second objection that that he has It's going to highlight that difference for us. So objection two: further, if God reprobates any man, it would be necessary for reprobation to have the same relation to the reprobates as predestination has to the predestined. But predestination is the cause of the salvation of the predestination of the predestined. Therefore, reprobation will likewise be the cause of the loss of the reprobate. But this is false. For it is said, destruction is thy own, O Israel, thy help is only in me. God does not uh, then reprobate any man. So what this objection is basically getting at is um, since reprobation and election are both parts of providence, then um, and also considering the fact that predestination is the cause of salvation, the fact that there is that uh, positive infusion of sanctifying grace in the elect, then also there's going to have to be reprobation is going to have to be that cause of damnation. It's going to have to be that cause to the falling into sin. So let's see how Thomas is going to answer this, because this is going to be very helpful. So reprobation differs in its causality from predestination. So while they can be regarded as correlatives in insofar as they both um, regard the end of salvation, one um, towards the end of salvation, the other away from salvation, it differs in, in the mode of causality when it comes to predestination and then reprobation. So this latter is the cause of both what is expected in the future life by the predestined, predestined, namely glory, and what is received in this life, namely grace. So when it comes to predestination, it causes both grace and glory. So both the end and the means is going to be positively caused by predestination. Reprobation, um, however, is not the cause of what is present, namely sin. But it is the cause of abandonment by God. So it's not going to be the cause um, of that sin which is present, but it is the cause of that abandonment. So the way in which it works is abandoned by God, um, which is uh, it, it reprobation causes the abandonment by God. And then uh, from that is going to from uh, the efficiently cause the interior sin, which is present in man is going to come sin. So that 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 fundamentum, so the foundation for the causing of sin is found within us. It is only the cause of God uh, taking away that restraining hand, which is going to be restraining um, our sinfulness. So it is the cause, however, of what is assigned in the future, namely eternal punishment. So reprobation also is going to be the cause of that eternal punishment. But as we remember from up here, it's on account of that sin. So it is something which is just. But guilt proceeds from the free will of the person who is reprobated and is deserted by grace. In this way, the word of the prophet is true, namely destruction is thy own, O Israel. So that is what I was describing as God allowing them to fall on the sword. So they are really falling on the sword of their own free will uh, when it comes to uh, after being deserted, um, not, not having that restraining hand of God and that sanctifying grace. After that desertion, um, the free will uh, comes in to go towards sin, and uh, from that comes guilt. So we have to distinguish very carefully those those uh, different causes when it comes to reprobation, um, to where we can say it is similar in some sense to predestination or election. It is similar in some sense to that, but it also differs in its causality. 
Okay, so I don't think three is... Yeah, I don't think three is, or one is going to be too helpful when it comes to objections. I'm going to check the chat real quick to see if I'm being harassed. The Bonyesians strike back against the Molinists. Yes, very true, King. Okay, so let's go to Summa Contragentiles now. Okay, Summa Contragentiles, Book 3, Chapter 163. So, this chapter is of predestination, reprobation, and divine election. So, he's going to be assuming some knowledge here. I'm going to also assume that knowledge in you, um, because if I had to go back and explain um, the way in which providence um, works, then that this video would be forever. So, I'm going to assume some knowledge of what providence is. So, but because we have proved that by the divine operation, some are with the assistance of grace directed to their last end, while others fail to reach their last end through being deprived of grace. So notice it's something which is God's will of the deprivation of grace. So we're going to be using that both that positive and negative language here. And since all that God does has been foreseen and ordained from eternity by his wisdom, as we have thus proved. It follows of necessity that the aforesaid distinction among men has been ordered by God from eternity. So that ordering in his prudence of the distinction among men that is between the elect and the reprobate is going to be ordained by God from eternity. Inasmuch as from eternity he has preordained some to be directed to their last end, he has said to have predestined them. So that ordination towards glory is going to be said to be predestination, or as he calls it, divine election. Or actually, I think in... Oh, yeah, yeah. Ne never mind. He's using predestination in a general sense here. So ordering either to that last end of glory, which is found in the elect, he, he does make that distinction between divine election and predestination. So towards the end of the elect, and then also towards damnation, which is the end of the reprobate. Hence, the apostle says he's predestined us to be the sons of God through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. Those to whom from eternity he has decreed not to give grace, he is said to have reprobated or hated according to the words of Malachi. I have loved Jacob, but I've hated Esau. So notice this decree of reprobation is the decree not to give grace. Interestingly enough, it sounds like somebody else that I have read before. I'm going to pull it up real quick just to just to troll Thende and Bessarion. Um Let's go back. Try to find it. Okay, this is from my article, The Catholicity of Reprobation. This is actually... Um, So this is actually going to be on the reformed view of reprobation, but they basically use the same exact language. Okay, where is it? There it is. So let's look. Francis Turretin. Um, 
the decree not to give grace. So also, um, yeah, already said that decree not to give grace. And then, yeah, I thought there was another place where it is a certain, I thought the language of not... Let me see. Let me see. Oh, yeah, here it is. The Nassau theologians, which were a certain group at the Synod of Dort. It is the decree not to choose. Yeah, the the not receiving the gifts of faith, leaving them in their sin. Um, the not the not bestowing of saving faith not giving grace, the non-election. Yes, the same um, negative language of the not giving of grace is pretty universally used, even in the reform schools. So let me go back to Summa Contra Gentiles. Sorry about that. That was just a brief aside to own them. So by reason of this very distinction, according to which he has reprobated some and predestined others, we have the divine election of which it is said he has chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Therefore, it is clear that predestination, election, and reprobation form a part of divine providence in reference to man's distinction to his last end by divine providence. Consequently, it may be shown that predestination and election do not oppose necessity for the same reasons as we employed to show that divine providence does not deprive things of their contingent nature. That predestination and election are not founded on any human merits may be made clear not only from the fact that God's grace, which is an effect of predestination, is not preceded by merits, but itself precedes all human merits as we have proved, but also from the fact that the will and providence of God are the first cause of whatever is done, and nothing can be the cause of divine will and providence. Among the effects of providence, as also predestination, one may be the cause of the other. Okay, so that's his very short section. And then he has another section in, I don't wait, I don't think that showed up, in his commentary on Romans. And I'm going to be digesting these a little bit less because I gave you guys the categories um, in the Summa one. So consequently, one must say that God loved Jacob from all eternity. As it was said in Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. So he's going to be going over here, that famous um, quotation from Malachi in Romans 9, of, for Jacob I have loved, for Esau I hated, which is what he quoted in the said Contra, if you remember back in, the, um, in his Summa. It's very important to read, just as a brief side note, it's very important to read um, his commentaries on Scripture um, alongside his, um, his Summa. It's very important to read them alongside each other. So this is him explaining, basically, um, the text which he uses in the said Contra, which is going to be very helpful. Now, these words of the apostle identify in God three things pertaining to the saints, namely election, by which is understood God's predestination election. In God, these are really the same, but in our understanding, they differ. For it is called God's love inasmuch as he wills good to a person absolutely. It is election inasmuch as through the good he wills for a person. He prefers him to someone else. But it is called predestination inasmuch as he directs a person to the good he wills for him by loving and choosing him. According to these definitions, predestination comes after love. 
just as the will's fixation on the end naturally precedes the process of directing things towards the end. Election and love, however, are ordered differently in God than in man, for in man election precedes love. For a man's will is inclined to love a thing on account of the good perceived in that, this good also being the reason why he prefers one thing to another, and why he fixed his love on the thing he preferred. But God's love is the cause of every good found in creatures, consequently the good in virtue of which one is preferred to another through election follows upon God's willing it which pertains to his love. Consequently, it is not in virtue of some good which he selects in a man that God loves him. Rather, it is because he loves him that he prefers him someone by election. So setting up how election works, it's going to be God's love, which which is uh, preceding election, which is the cause of that good in the person. So it is not for the sake of the good of the person that election happens. So, but just as the love about which we are speaking pertains to God's eternal predestination, so the hatred about which we are speaking pertains to the rejection by which God rejects sinners. So, love is to predestination as hatred is to reprobation. And then, uh, for some reason, uh, he, they use rejection, but reprobationum and reprobat is the language which is going to be used um, in Latin. So where you see rejection, think reprobation. It should not be supposed that this rejection is temporal because nothing in the divine will is temporal. Rather, it is eternal. Furthermore, it is akin to love or predestination, one respect and different to another. Okay, good. Now we're going to be seeing how predestination is going to differ from how we think about reprobation. It is akin. So we're thinking about the the correlative nature that they have now it is akin in the sense that just as predestination is a preparation for glory so reprobation and for some reason they keep saying rejection is preparation for punishment for a burning place has been prepared yes for the king that is made ready so this reprobatio and then there's gonna be that distinction made between reprobatio and damnatio so this reprobatio is a preparation for punishment so it is different, so they're both going to be the preparation for the final end, but it's different when it comes to um, what exactly uh, reprobation is in its causality, as we went over earlier. So it is different in that predestination implies preparation of the merits by which glory is reached. So when it comes to the merits um, that flow from predestination, that is going to be something which is of grace, which is going to be caused within us. So justice is infused in us um, as a cause, as a um, as an effect of predestination, which is the cause of glory. But reprobation implies preparation of the sins by which punishment is reached. Consequently, a foreknowledge of merits cannot be the reason of predestination because the foreknowledge of merits falls under predestination. But the foreknowledge of sins can be the reason for reprobation on the part of the punishment prepared for the rejected. Notice, when it comes to um, the reprobation itself, when it comes to the abandonment itself, it cannot be the foreknowledge of sins. But when it comes to that predamnatio, that predamnation that we're thinking of, on the part of punishment, so on the part of damnation, on the part of that punishment, the reason is that foreknowledge of sins, which flows from reprobation. So notice those distinctions we made earlier, and this makes perfect sense. 
So to say that it's a mere um, uh, that reprobation or the abandonment due to sin is due to sin, uh, that doesn't really uh, jive with Prima Par's uh, question 23. But when you notice that he's speaking of on the part of the punishment prepared for the rejected, that's perfectly in line because this is basically what he says um, when it comes to in, in, in the Summa. Inasmuch as God proposes to punish the wicked for the sins that they themselves, not from God, so remember again from the Summa, that these sins are not from God. It is that abandonment um, uh, that he has in not giving grace to where he, the free will of man um, actualizes the sin within them. And then God proposes to punish on account of that sin that they themselves have committed, not from God. The just he proposes to reward on the account of merits they do not have from themselves. So there you go. And then I have some from Lagrange to finish it off. Breaking news, Nancy Pelosi is being refused communion in the Diocese of San Francisco. I saw that. It's very based. Very based indeed. So the first one's going to just be from his predestination because it's a little bit pithier. But with his, um, and then the second one's going to be from his commentary on Prima Pars. Which, let's see if that actually works. They do have to borrow it from archive.org. Very annoying. There you go. Be good. I'm just kind of, okay, here we go. So now, how shall we define reprobation? So let's see if Bonnie has, because I just went over with you what St. Thomas says. Let's see how, how in line Bonnie is. Just, just looking at it just plainly. He's going to get in a little bit into the, the Thomistic tradition in his commentary, but this is kind of going to be a more um, sola, sola Thomas. So the term reprobation is commonly used in reference to our rejection of an error of judgment by the intellect and in reference to the moral disorder, which we reject by a judgment of the intellect, and by an aversion of the will. So basically, when it comes to uh, reprobation on, on, the, on the part of man, uh, we consider a certain object in reality, and we judge it to be um, evil, and then we, uh, we reject it. So think of reprobation in the sense that it's being used in the part of um, our intellect as rejection. In this sense, the scripture speaks of those whom God reprobated from all eternity. Thus, St. Paul writes, I chastise my body, lest perhaps when I've preached to others, I myself should become a castaway, so become reprobate. The scriptures also make use of equivalent words and expressions such as cursed, vessels of wrath and dishonor, child of hell, son of perdition. The fact that certain persons are reprobated has therefore the certainty of faith, because it is spoken of in Scripture. St. Thomas explains it by remarking that it belongs to God's universal providence to permit for the general good of the universe the failure or deficiency of certain defectible creatures, otherwise spoken of as physical and moral evil. Thus, providence permits the death of a gazelle for the life of the lion, and the crime of the persecutors for the heroic patience of the martyrs. So notice the death of a gazelle, that is a what's called a physical evil. So the death of that gazelle um, is good. Uh, well, in itself, it's a physical evil, but it's good in consideration of the whole because 
It allows the lion to live. The crime of the persecutors in killing the martyr, that is a moral evil, but in the larger consideration of things, it can be considered as a good because um, of the heroic patience of the martyrs, which brings about many goods. So now intellectual creatures, since they are by nature defectible, are ordained to eternal life by divine providence. It pertains, therefore, to this latter to permit for the greater good that certain persons fail and do not attain this end. This is called negative reprobation, quite distinct from positive reprobation, that inflicts the penalty of damnation for the sins of final impenitence. Notice this distinction is always present in our minds between negative reprobation and positive reprobation. When it comes to negative reprobation, it is that allowal of certain defects. So it allows those people to fail. It allows those people to not attain their end for the greater good of the whole. That is for the glory of Christ. Um, it's for the vindication of his judgment, of his justice, as it's spoken of in Romans 9. So that negative reprobation of the allowing of falling into sin um, is for that greater good. And that's distinct from positive reprobation which if you remember positive reprobation, which is called in um, in uh, in the Reformed authors, damnatio, so um, a pre-damnation, is going to be on account of that, it's going to be a penalty on account of, of damnation, on account of sins. It's going to be that um, declaration of a penalty on account of sins. So the first one is the allowing to fall into sin, negative reprobation. The second one is the punishment on account of those sins that proceed from the will of the person who has not been given grace. So nothing, however, happens that God from all eternity has not either willed if it is a good or has not permitted if it is an evil. Now, according to Revelation, certain persons are lost through their own fault and are eternally punished. This would not happen, therefore, unless God from all eternity had permitted their failure to do their duty of which, moreover, he is by no means the cause, and if he had not decided to punish them for it. Is reprobation simply the denial of predestination? It implies the divine permission of the sin of final impenitence, negative reprobation. So it's going to be first that denial of grace, wherein the, um, God permits final impenitence, and the divine will to inflict the penalty of damnation for this sin of final impenitence. So God allows people in ne negative reprobation to fall into their sins. And then in positive reprobation or damnatio, he is going to will to inflict that penalty of damnation for that sin, which proceeds from the will. So if reprobation were simply the denial of predestination, it would not be an act of providence. And the penalty of damnation would not be inflicted by God. St. Thomas says, as predestination includes the will to confer grace and glory, so also reprobation includes the will to permit a person sorry, to fall in a into sin and to impose the punishment of damnation on account of that sin. Having defined predestination and reprobation, we must now seek their cause. So that's going to be where he gives the um, overview. But in other places in this, he's going to go over it in a bit more detail. Everybody, everybody always asks me this. Christian B. Wagner, what are your thoughts on double predestination in Calvinism? Again, when it comes to 
Calvinism, you have to really define your terms. Because if you read um, the article, which I had wrote on the Catholicity of Reprobation, which draws from uh, dozens of reformed authors who were at uh, the Westminster Assembly, who were at the Synod of Dort, which are going to be the major, major, um, uh, they produce the major documents of uh, modern confessional reformed churches. If you're going to be looking this age of scholasticism and confessionalism, what you're going to see is you're going to see basically what Lagrange just said there, basically what Thomas just said there, that same distinction being made um, explicitly taking from um, St. Thomas's language when it comes to describing their thought on double predestination. So it's going to be that same thing. So if you mean it in that sense, if you mean in the sense of the classical reformed, I don't see any issue with it. Um, and somebody, if they want to uh, correct my article, which um, the quote sources, they most of the people who uh, spurge out about um, about the reform double predestination have never even heard of. Um, you 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 can be my guest. Um, I, I would be happy to be corrected on this point because it would make it a lot easier to just uh, say that they were all a bunch of stupid heretics and um, to, to throw it away. But if if I'm concerned with truth and honesty. Uh, when it comes to that age of reformed scholasticism, they're basically saying the same thing that Thomas says here. Now, where the issue comes in is you're going to have a um, a certain tendency within reformed thought after the late uh, 17th century, after the collapse of a lot of these systems, um, especially in English. Uh, it's going to be especially hard in, in the English reformed, where um, it leads to a, a view which is not tenable, which is going to be that positive reprobation, that is a pre-damnatio, is not going to be on the account of the sin which they have fallen into, that sin of final impenitence that they fall into. So that's going to cause some errors in the way in which a lot of modern reformed are going to think about this issue, which is pretty clear from uh, just reading um, a lot of them. So this is going to be an issue in later English um, reform thought. This is going to be an issue in American reform thought. This is going to be an issue in modern reform thought. But if by um, double predestination, you're referring to that classical age of confessionalization, which is found in those confessional documents of the Dutch reformed and the Presbyterian, and um, I would even say the London Baptist confession. Um, well, when, when it, uh, with the reformed Baptist, when it comes to those documents, I would say they're completely orthodox, and I think it's a very hard sell to convince me that they're not saying exactly what Lagrange is saying here and exactly what St. Thomas said in uh, in his works. So um, it, it depends on what you mean by double predestination, because when I talk to people and they always uh, they always when I talk about reprobation, ask me about double predestination, they are very unclear about how they're defining it, uh, very unclear about how they're defining it. So it, it all really depends on uh, standards of definition, whether you're going to look to, okay, let's open up John MacArthur, John Piper, let's open up um, these, uh, these modern reformed authors and see what they say about uh, reprobation. Then um, that's one thing. Another thing is going to say, okay, let's look at that period of confessionalization, which is reformed theology proper. So reformed theology proper is, okay, let's look at the Synod of Dort. I can show you the English delegation. I can show you uh, Nassau. I can show you Leiden. I can show you all of these delegations which are at the Synod of Dort and the and the very words of the Synod of Dort itself. 
which is making these same distinctions and looking back explicitly to St. Thomas and saying these same exact things and um, interpreting it in the same exact sense. I can show you those documents and I've quoted those documents in my article. And uh, that that's going to be uh, two completely different tasks right there. So do you know anything about Francis, St. Francis de Sales treatment of predestination? I do not. Um, I, I will admit my ignorance on that. Most of my reading has been in, um, in reform thought when it comes to um, reprobation. Okay. So, you know, I think this actually will be helpful. Okay, so this is in Lagrange's um, commentary, De Deo Uno, so on the one God. So whether God reprobates any man, and this is going to be um, the commentary on the article uh, that we just read. So since opposites have their foundation in the same principle, reprobation must be defined by its opposite, which is predestination. Oh, um, yeah, so that's going to be the first objection. It is of faith that there is such a thing as reprobation, which does not mean, however, predestination to evil. So notice, this is not uh, predestination to evil, which is going to be that positive infusion of evil. It's going to be that negative allowance of the fall into sin. The And this is what some people bring up, the predestination to evil verse, but this is um, just to be taken in that distinct sense. So the Council of uh, Queerzy says against Gostock, God, who is good and just, chose from the mass of perdition, according to his foreknowledge, those to whom he has predestined for life, and he has predestined eternal life for them. But the rest, whom by his just judgment he left in the mass of perdition, he foreknew will perish, though he did not predestine that they should perish. But because he is just, he has predestined eternal punishment for them. So this is going to be taken in the sense, um, uh, this is actually perfect uh, expression of what we what we mean by reprobation, because he is leaving them in the massa damnata, so that mass of damnation, which Augustine talks about, the mass of perdition, leaving them in that, and then um, that foreknowledge of perishing, and that he did not predestine that they should perish. So it's going to be allowing into um, the, the fall into um that that final impenitence and then that positive aspect which is the predestination of eternal punishment so notice the difference between reprobatio and damnatio as the reform talk about or the difference between um po negative and then positive reprobation as the catholics will reference uh, Holy Scripture speaks of the reprobates of the son of perdition. St. Paul says, I chastise my body, lest I myself should become a castaway. Christ himself reveals to us the sentence of judgment. Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire. Theological proof. The following answer is given to those who inquire about the definition and fitness of reprobation. It is the part of providence which permits the failure of some through their own fault to attain glory. And because it was their own fault, the penalty of damnation is inflicted on them. Thus, reprobation is the opposite of predestination. It is a question of sin which de facto is not forgiven, especially the sin of final impenitence. That it is fitting for God to reprobate some is proved as follows. 
It belongs to God's providence as universal provider to permit for the greater good of the universe, the failure among defectible things that are subjected to his providence. But intellectual creatures who are destined for glory are of their nature defectible. Therefore, it belongs to God's providence to permit that some through their own fault, fail to attain their end and to inflict the penalty of damnation for their own sin. So notice, first part, permitting through their own fault to fail to that end. And second, the infliction of the penalty of damnation for their sin. So notice this negative positive distinction is always in our minds. The motive, however, of this divine permission will be discussed further on, along with the motive of predestination. So first doubt. So now he's going to be um, getting into some doubts about what exactly uh, reprobation means. It does not, no wait, does reprobation imply only foreknowledge? It does not, but as St. Thomas says, it includes the will to permit a person to fall into sin and to impose the punishment of damnation on account of that sin. This negative reprobation is the will to permit sin which de facto will not be forgiven. And as we shall see, this negative reprobation is previous to foreseen demerits. Notice, as I've said before, Negative reprobation is previous to foreseeing demerits. So God is not considering like, oh, this guy is more sinful than the other one. So I'm going to I'm going to permit him to fall into sin because he's worse than the other one. No, no, no. This is before demerits when it comes to the falling into sin that are not to be forgiven, which are not infallibly foreseen as future without this divine permission. So notice um, uh, when it comes to the falling into sin, that is going to be a necessary conditional for reprobation. The distinction is going to be made that we can see that there's that necessary condition of demerit, but it's not on that basis um, of of demerit. So that fall into sin is going to be known as certainly future, but it's not going to be on that basis. Um, it's not going to be okay. This guy's more sinful than the other one, therefore I'm going to demerit. I'm going to uh, reprobate him, but I'm going to elect him. That, that's not how it works. Positive reprobation, however, is the will to inflict the penalty of damnation for sin. And this is the result of forcing demerits. So this is going to be on the consideration of those forcing demerits because that person has in act two um, fallen into that sin to where um, he has been permitted to fall into by negative reprobation. For every just punishment presupposes a sin on account of which the punishment is inflicted. Second doubt. What must be said of the opinion of certain Thomists who maintain that negative reprobation which is prior to the foreseeing of demerit consists in the positive exclusion from glory as a gift, uh, which they are not entitled such the opinion of Alvarez, the Salamancans, John of St. Thomas, Gonet, and Contenson. So what must be said of the opinion of certain Thomas who maintain that negative reprobation. So remember that permission of the falling to sin, which is prior to the foreseeing of demerit consists in the positive exclusion from glory as a gift which they are not entitled. So this is going to be a um this is going to be a very high view of reprobation because it's going to be a uh, a certain positive um exclusion from glory, a certain positive aspect to negative reprobation. Reply. It is more difficult to reconcile this opinion with God's universal will to save. And there seems to be no foundation for this theory in the present article of St. Thomas or in any other passage in his works. All that St. Thomas says in this article and elsewhere is reprobation includes the will to permit a person to fall into sin, especially into the sin of final impenitence and other sins that dispose 
uh, one for it. He does not speak of the positive exclusion from glory as from a gift to which one is not entitled. So notice, actually, Lagrange is going to have a slightly lower um, view of election. And I actually um, I actually uh, would um, be more friendly to this view, which he is rejecting. But I will just say whatever uh, Lagrange says on this one. St. Thomas says, indeed, in the reply to the first objection of this article, the sum God does not will this good, which is eternal life, which means that he wills eternal life to them only antecedently and not consequently or efficaciously. But to exclude them from glory as from a gift to which they are not entitled would be not only to will, but to be unwilling. It would be an act of positive exclusion from glory. This seems, however, too harsh of you. And by this very fact, these men, before their demerits were foreseen, would be excluded not only from their ultimate supernatural end, but all, also from their ultimate natural end. Similarly, in the reply to the second objection, it is stated that reprobation is the cause of abandonment by God, that is, after sin and on account of sin. In reply to the third objection, it is explained that the reprobate can be saved, although de facto he will not be saved. This point is better explained. However, if we bear in mind that before foreseen demerits, such a person is not excluded from glory as from a gift to which one is not entitled. Therefore, this opinion of certain Thomas seems scarcely reconcilable with God's universal will to save. For God, to the utmost extent, sincerely wills by his antecedent will that all be saved, so that it is their own fault if they are damned. But he would not will all to be saved if, before having foreseen any sin on the part of the reprobate, he had decreed positively to exclude such a person from eternal salvation as from a gift to which one is not entitled. So including this um, this kernel of positiveness um, in negative reprobation, it is extremely uh, dangerous. So confirmation of proof. So God wills whatever there is of good in anything, but that a person who is ordained to an ultimate end that is both natural and supernatural before the foreseeing of sins be excluded from this end as from a gift to which one is not entitled is not in itself anything good. Therefore, God before the foreseeing of sin does not exclude a person from their ultimate natural and supernatural end as from a gift to which one is not entitled. Hence, negative reprobation is simply God's will to permit one, through one's own fault, to fail to reach the ultimate end. Therefore, Thomas theologians generally distinguish between the permission of sin and the denial of efficacious grace. For this latter, that is, the denial of efficacious grace, is an evil that implies a penalty, and it therefore presupposes sin, whereas, on the contrary, the permission of sin precedes the sin and is not a penalty, but something that is not good, for privation is more than a simple denial. Therefore, there is a great difference indeed between not giving something that is gratuitous and refusing to give it. So, objection. Since God precedes anything to order, he first intends the end before the means. But in the case of reprobation, exclusion from grace is the end and the permission of sin is the means. Therefore, God first intends exclusion from glory and then the permission of sin. So this is actually going to get a little bit into more of this um, debate between um, the Thomas. So actually, I won't. I'll get straight into this doubt right here because I don't think that'll be helpful. 
So if you want to read this, um, it's on archive. Uh, third doubt, what is meant by God's permission of sin? So what do we mean when we say, um, as we've said many times before, that we're permitting um, sin? So God's permission of sin means that the will, which by its nature is defectible, is not maintained by him at that particular time in the performance of good. For if this will were maintained by him in the performance of good at that particular time, sin would be prevented and not be permitted. So it's really, again, that not giving of grace. But um, for Father Lagrange, um, I'm not I'm not too sure about this. Um, I would have to think about this a bit more. Uh, I, I can't really uh, reconcile um, the position of Father Lagrange. Um, I, I rather prefer the other Thomas, but um, just when it comes to Father Lagrange, um, there is only that mere denial of the giving of grace. There isn't that positive um, will to not give grace. So it's that mere exclusion and permission of sin, um, which is um, uh, the, the uh, negative reprobation. But that will is not maintained in the performance of good requires careful consideration. There's a mystery in this, and we must avoid contradiction. Okay, I think this is also um, not going to be a helpful uh, section. So that is all that we have here. I'll take any questions that people have. Oh, Beyond Dort and De Auxilis. Yes, Beyond Dort and De Auxilis. I've actually uh, emailed back and forth with the author of, uh, of that a little bit. But yeah. That is a very good book. It's published by Brill. <laughs> so will I be watching the other Paul's debate with Truglia? Um, I'm not sure. I may. Um, but I mean, it's an Orthodox and uh, Protestant. I might but just be there to support uh, the other Paul, just to type in the chat that the other Paul is right and the Orthodox are wrong. What is uh, G. Valencia's opinion on the topic, Militant Thomas? Friar G. Valencia, I mean, if you know, of course. I, 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 I'm not aware. I have many apologies. Okay, well, that's all I have for you. I should get back to it. But thank you for watching. Remember to become a patron at patreon.com slash Militant Thomas. If you like what I'm doing, make sure you thumbs it up. I better see all of you thumbs up this video. Um, what else? Oh, yeah like the video, and then comment for that algorithm. But I will see you guys later. Remember, it is Easter and Christ is risen from the dead.